Good morning, everybody. Before jumping into the Word this morning, just want to share with you a couple of quick things. First of all, uh, praise God, Rocky is back with us today. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, please give him a warm welcome, to, but no high fives uh, quite yet. And also, just want to share with you that uh, yesterday our family had the great privilege of traveling to Pennsylvania and taking part in the wedding of Rachel Wessel. Um, many of you, well, now Rachel Masters, uh, many of you know and love Rachel very much. She was a missionary sent out from our church who was serving in Mexico and is now moved back to the United States and married the love of her life. Uh, she and her husband, Dar Darren, are uh, they're part of a great church with a very good pastor who preaches the gospel faithfully. I was really encouraged to see the gospel-centered, Christ-centered nature of their wedding ceremony and to be able to take part in that in a small way. Uh, and I know it would be a blessing to them if you were to reach out and encourage them in these early days of their life together. Uh, we're just really thankful for the way the Lord has worked in that situation, and praise God. So I wanted, wanted to let you know about that. Now I'd ask that you please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. As you're turning there, I want to take you back to the far, far distant past, the year 2020. That was before the merger of Gateway and RGF, and um, at that time I had been preaching through the book of Acts for a while. However, March 15th of 2020 shifted everything. It was a very different day. You see, once a year, Peter Nicotra, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Woodhaven, uh, he and I would swap pulpits, and he would preach for me over at Redeeming Grace Fellowship, and I would preach for him in Woodhaven. And right after I finished preaching for him, I called him to compare notes, as we always do, and I said, Pete, uh, I'm not 100% sure what's going on, but is your church okay? And he said, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know some of the stuff that's going on, but yeah, I think everything's okay. And I said, well, it seems to me that there's only about 30% of the people that I'm used to seeing in your congregation, and I'm, I'm not sure, but I think there's a lot of people that were missing. And he said, well, you know, that's interesting because I'm not sure, but I think there was a good number of folks missing from you guys as well. And then he said these words, I think that it may have something to do with that new global virus that's going around. Now, little did we know that we had both already preached our last sermon in person that we would preach for the next three months. As many of you remember all too well, COVID-19 shifted everything online for a season, and the first sermon that I preached over the internet was from the book of Acts, chapter 14, called The Messenger of the Gods, and it covered Acts chapter 14, 1 through 23. Now, to be honest, I have no idea who, if anyone, actually saw that video because we had no idea what we were doing yet. So prayerfully, I determined to pivot away for a while from the book of Acts, and we were basically... Uh, at the center of the book anyway, we were kind of at a point where it was easy to shift away. We had just come to the end of Paul's first missionary journey, so it seemed like a natural place to take a break. And I believe that now is the right time for us to return to the book of Acts, and here's why. Over the past several months, we have carefully examined the doctrines of grace, the doctrines of soteriology. Those systematic sermons were designed to build up our understanding of what salvation is and how it was obtained by God, accomplished by Christ, and applied by the Holy Spirit. Those sermons were richly theological. However, it is important to understand that all theology is designed to be intrinsically practical. If you and I truly believe and understand the gospel correctly, then it is necessarily going to change the way that we live our lives. 
So why Acts? Why right now? Well, because this book, the Acts of the Apostles, displays for us what it is like, or at least what it is supposed to be like, when people who have been saved by grace go out into the world. It shows us what it is supposed to look like when we communicate the message of saving faith to a lost and dying people. It is the best picture in the Bible of what it looks like when the church and its members are faithfully fulfilling the Great Commission. So, I believe that right now the Lord is leading our church to spend the next several months walking through the second half of the book of Acts together so that we might be well equipped to go out into our community and to proclaim the gospel. It is my hope that the Lord will use this to equip us and empower us and invigorate us so that we can go out and boldly live for Christ, not just in here, but out there. So in short, we're going to be in Acts so that we might be weekly reminded that we are the inheritors of the very same mission that was given to Paul, to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. So if you are in Acts chapter 14, please follow along with me beginning at verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they had arrived and gathered the church, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you have given us this book of truth, this book of history, this book of the account of Christ's word moving throughout the world so that we might know how we are to live. And Lord, I pray that we would do so today, that you would alter our understanding and alter our uh, commitments and our convictions so that we might live rightly for you. And God, I ask that in all of these things that you would be our guide and our helper open our eyes, just as it says you opened a door for the faith of the Gentiles, I pray that you would open the door for the faith of anyone in this room who does not yet know you in a saving way. Please, Lord, cause us to trust in Christ. Father God, I pray that you would help me today as I proclaim the good news, that you would help me to speak accurately and compassionately. Help me, Lord, to speak the words of truth uh, so that we might live rightly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I read through this short text a few moments ago, you probably noticed that uh, not much seems to happen in these verses. In fact, the majority of what is being rendered here for us is nothing more than the directions of how they got back to their sending church in Antioch. However, there are several very important things that we find that are instructive, both in regards of mission and in regards to how we live our own lives. So here are the three points that we will use to outline our time together in this text. First, that they are commended to the work. Secondly, that they are connected to the church. And third, that they are going to confer all the glory to God. Let's consider first that they were commended to the work. How does somebody become a missionary? This is a really important question we should be asking ourselves if we are to take part in the missionary enterprise. How should we even go about answering the question, how does somebody become a missionary? You see, when somebody is interested in most career paths, there is generally a clear trail that has been blazed about how to get there. For example, if you want to become a doctor, you begin going to college, you get the degree, you go to clinicals, you do the tests. Trevor, am I right about that? Am I correct? There's a path you have to follow, 
and it's rigorous, and it's challenging. Raghu, you know it is a hard path to walk, but you know what you're doing. You know what you have to do. The path is blazed for you. You know how to get there. That's how it's supposed to work for most jobs. Is that how it works for missionaries? Well, thankfully, the Bible gives us a model about how missionaries are supposed to be commended to the work. Here in our text, Paul says, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Let's jump back for a minute to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. It will be here on the screen for you, so that we can see exactly what Paul is talking about here. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. One of the phrases that people throw around often these days is the little phrase, something like, we are all missionaries, or something like that. Now, when people say that, I usually don't correct them or say anything negative because I love the heart that is behind what they are saying. Usually, when people say something like that, I think what they mean is that we are all called to faithfully carry the gospel to whoever it is that we are with. Whether we are going to work, whether we are going to uh, hang out with family members or a family reunion, we are supposed to be a light for the Lord himself. And that is absolutely true, that wherever you are, you are to be an example for Christ, faithfully proclaiming the good news. Whether you are in Levittown or Latvia or East Meadow or Ethiopia or Hempstead or Honduras, we are always supposed to be a shining light of Christian truth to the world around us. I think that's what most people mean when they say, we are all missionaries. However, that is not called being a missionary. That's called being a Christian. Granted, this is a little bit of a semantic argument because the Bible never uses the word missionary, so we have some wiggle room about how to define it. However, the point that I am making stands that there are only a select few that the Lord sets apart for a specific purpose to be sent out into the field to serve him in this particular manner. We see that clearly in the verses we just read from Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas were already serving the Lord. They were already faithful teachers in a local church, and they were probably excellent in the ministry positions that they had. However, the Holy Spirit impressed upon that church that these two of those five leaders needed to leave so that they would go out and plant other churches. There are five simple principles that I want to notice here as we consider this fact. First of all, you need to notice that missionaries do not appoint themselves. Now, to give you a negative example, there are many, many people who do this. I was one of them. Many years ago, when I was in high school, I decided when I graduate from high school, I'm going to go as a missionary. Now, what did I do? I, I found a place in Brazil. I went on a short-term mission trip there through a parachurch ministry, and I connected with some people. And I decided when I get out of high school, I'm just going to move myself down there, and I will be a missionary there for the rest of my life. That's what I determined. The church that I was attending at the time had no knowledge or involvement in that process. They did not send me. Uh, in fact, until the very last minute, I didn't even inform them that I was planning to go. And then I moved my life to Brazil, and by God's grace, he eventually moved me back through various, various forms of government intervention with uh, Brazil and the United States not getting along well. I got caught in the middle of that. 
However, I just have to tell you, I thought that I was doing something well. I thought that I was doing something right by commending myself to the work. I decided that I was worthy of this calling, so I just went. That's not what we see taking place in the Bible. In the Bible, what we see is that missionaries are sent, pastors are ordained, and churches plant churches. No one takes these missions upon themselves. They are commended by existing and faithful pastors and churches. So we see here, missionaries do not appoint themselves. Secondly, we see that missionaries are real people. These are real people who experience trials and discouragements and weaknesses just like everyone else. Missionaries are not some superhuman subset of the church that we send forth. Uh, here's an example of a, a request that I received this week from Kevin Cooney. Uh, he and his family serve the Lord in a remote part of Indonesia. They're on a small island. If you remember Matt Weesey, who came here and was going out into Indonesia with uh, Sharina and his children, um, if you remember what he was speaking about, they are going to serve alongside of Kevin. So this is a very remote part on a small island in the middle of the unreached world. And Kevin, I believe, is one of the best missionaries that I know. And he sent this message and he asks, Dear friends, we are currently looking for someone who can spend a minimum of six months with us to help our family homeschool. Particularly for Leah, our 10-year-old, ideally they would have experience with homeschool themselves or at least have gone to some kind of Christian high school. This need is essentially twofold. First, the current pace of ministry and needs in the village are such that Trying to homeschool three children of different ages has become unsustainable for us. And secondly, Leah recently said goodbye to her only friend on the island, Rasti, who had to travel to another part of Indonesia in order to attend a high school. This was really hard on Leah, and so having compassionate older sister types who could love the Lord to come help and encourage her during the season of a young girl's life will likely have a massive impact on her for good. So please pray for this need and consider how you might help be an answer to this prayer. I'm willing to cover whatever costs are needed and do whatever it takes to make this happen. So most important at this point is willingness. Now, there's much more to that email. And if you are interested in knowing more about that opportunity, please let me know. Uh, I would love to find a way that we could serve them in this need. However, the main reason I read that to you today is so that you will see these are real people with real needs. They still have the same challenges that you and I have over here. I'm a parent. We always have to try to figure out how are we going to educate our kids. They are parents, and they are trying to figure out how do we educate our kids. But added to that challenge for them is the fact that they are living far away from anyone else who speaks their native language and far away from any place that has high levels of education at all. These are real people with real challenges, and we should think of them that way so that we will pray for them that way. Thirdly, missionaries are sent from local churches, not from an agency. Now, please don't mi misunderstand my point here. Training organizations and Bible colleges, they can be really helpful when it comes to equipping and preparing missionaries for the foreign field. Being prepared and equipped is incredibly important so that when people get where they're going, they have the tools that they can use to actually serve in that capacity. However, the biblical model is that a missionary should be commissioned and sent out into the field by their local church. Uh, I just want to tell you a little more about Matt and Sharina I mentioned earlier. 
um, I had the great honor of going and taking part in their commissioning service when they were sent out from their church at Crossbridge. And it was one of the most powerful and God-glorifying times I have ever seen in terms of a worship service. Here's what they did. Their entire church gathered together to pray for them. And they worshiped in song with them. And they listened to a short message about what it means to go out into the field with them. And then they all grabbed onto a rope together. And they held that and said, we promise to hold the rope so that you can go. Now that comes, of course, from uh, some of the early missionaries like William Carey who said, we will go down if you will hold the rope. And they said, we will hold the rope. And what this is really, one of the reasons why this is really important is that that church will now and forever moving forward be connected with those missionaries in a deep and intimate way. They will hear about them constantly. They will pray for them regularly. They will give to them consistently and faithfully. And there will never be a time that those missionaries who are half a world away will ever be far from their minds and hearts. And that is because they were sent out of a local church. It's important that we do this so that we have a connection to those who are on the foreign field. Paul and Barnabas were connected to this local church. We see that in the fact that when they go back, they delight in spending time with them and being part of them and sharing with them about what they were doing. Fourth, we see that missionaries are funded by people who know them. When asked what the most difficult aspect of missions is, many missionaries will tell you it's the struggle to raise funds. So in an attempt to help missionaries, there was a, about a century ago this decision that was made by many people in our country who said, you know what we can do? We can take the burden away from the missionaries by saying, you don't need to talk to churches at all. All you need to do is talk to a missionary agency, and if they hire you, then we'll just have churches fund us, and you never have to step foot into a church again. We'll just give you money as you go out and serve. And their heart, I think, was right, but over the last century, we've seen many ways in which that has destabilized the mission work that has gone on around the world, and in particular has harmed missionaries to a devastating effect, and it has also harmed the local church in causing it to lose its awareness of missions altogether. But Paul and Barnabas were not only sent out by the church at Antioch, they were also given the financial provision to make this trip happen. However, later on, Paul and Barnabas, and later on Paul and others, will plant churches in Asia Minor and in, in Europe, and they will eventually receive money from the churches that they planted. However, there is never a time, not even once, in the New Testament that we see the church being encouraged to give to a middleman organization who will then distribute the funds to somebody that you do not know. What those groups want you to do is they want you to give your money to someone that you don't know, so that they can turn around and give it to someone else that you don't know. Now, this results in the church never having a clear idea of what they are supporting or who they are sending, and therefore, less of a commitment to the work of the Lord. Fifth, we see that faithful churches send their best. It can be really hard when an excellent member of the church moves away for any reason. Uh, the more gifted they were and the more dedicated they were, the bigger hole is left behind when they go. All of you have felt this at some time. If you have been part of the church for any length of time, you know the devastating effect that can take place when somebody who has served in an incredible capacity in your life now moves away, whether it is to Florida for retirement or 
to the mission field across the world. That departure is often felt in every single molecule of the church. Now, I imagine it was really hard to lose Paul and Barnabas to the mission field. Yet, the Lord set them apart for the work of the mission, and they went. In early 2015, I was working alongside North Shore Baptist Church in order to plant a new church here on Long Island. And at that time, I took their directory, and I looked through it, and I circled many people in that directory. And I went to the elders, and I said to them, these are roughly 20 adults that I thought would be both geographically capable and completely dedicated to planting a church. And when I approached the elders of North Shore Baptist Church, I wasn't sure how well this would go over because the people that I was asking to take were almost all serving in significant ways in the church. They were all deacons and leaders of children's ministries and elders of the church. They were people who had been involved in music ministry and in caring for the lawn and all sorts of other things that when I looked at that list, I said, I am asking for their best. And when I approached them, they were not only ready but overjoyed that they would be able to send out their best to start a new church. Church planting is hard, and most church plants fail within the first two years. Now, over the past several months, I have had So if you're being sent out, ask your local church to send their best. There, are many, there may come a day when you, like Paul and Barnabas, are going to be commissioned to leave. Maybe you will be asked to leave Gateway Church. Perhaps you will be leaving to join a church plant. Perhaps you are going to revitalize a church in our area. Or if the Lord would be so gracious, he might raise you up and send you out across the globe. It would be an incredible joy for this church to take part in global mission. It would be an amazing thing if someone in this room today would hear the voice of the Lord calling them, it is time for you to go. Who will go for me? And would you respond, here, I'm, here I am, send me. First, we see that Paul and Barnabas were commended to the work. The second thing I want you to notice from our text in chapter 14 is that Paul and Barnabas were connected to the local church. Notice verses 27 and 28 again. And when they arrived and gathered the church together... They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Um, when missionaries return from the foreign field, they often give a missionary report. Uh, Claudia, I assume that you gave many, many missionary reports over the time of your extended service in Nigeria. And when you would come back, did you come and, and speak to churches about what you'd been doing? This is, something, this is something that is a very common and very important part of missionary service, that when they would come back, they would go to the local church, and they would explain, either on a Sunday morning service or during a Sunday school or sometimes on Sunday night, what is it that the Lord has been doing in your ministry? How is it that he is working in your midst over there, wherever you might be? This is not something that the Baptists made up about 100 years ago. This is something that the church has been doing since Paul and Barnabas. This is something that is good for them. It is something that is very significant. 
I remember when I was a little boy, I met missionaries who were serving in Djibouti. I, I think I could not have been more than seven years old, uh, but I remember a clear, as clear as day that I looked up to those missionaries more than anyone else in the entire world. My brother had a poster of Michael Jordan in his famous free throw line dunk on his wall. If I could have, I would have had a poster of these missionaries on my wall. I thought incredibly highly of them. I thought they were amazing because my church growing up did an excellent job of valuing people who take the word of God to the ends of the earth and acknowledging their service is of great importance as they are the tip of the spear that's going out to a world of three billion people that have never even heard the gospel before. It's not that they have heard and rejected. They haven't even heard. Sometimes when you go on a trip, uh, when you come back, people are not super stoked about listening to the stories of your trip. They, they want to know, hey, how is it going? And all they really want to hear is, oh, it was a great trip. Oh, good. I'm glad you had a good time. They're not interested in anything beyond that. Even the best of storytellers sometimes can't get beyond that first little, yes, it was a great trip. Uh, just recently, I went on a trip with my family. Uh, the farthest point that we went southwest of here was Waco, Texas. It was a long drive. It was four and a half thousand miles of driving, and that's about three times the distance of Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. And thankfully for us, it didn't take as long as it took for them. It was just a short couple of weeks. Uh, but I will tell you that when anyone comes back from a trip, it can be hard to really genuinely listen with care to what they have experienced because you cannot put yourself in the shoes of the person who has experienced them. But I will tell you this, the more you love the person and the more you love the mission, the more you will hear them and the more you will listen to them. When we have missionaries come and share with us what they are doing, it is very significant that you do not breeze past that. If we ask you to come back on a Sunday night, it is important that you actually do so that you might be an encouragement to them, but also that they might speak truth into your life that you need to hear. Notice that Paul and Barnabas didn't go off to the field and leave their local church behind forever. They remained attached, and when they returned, they spent what Luke refers to as not a short time with the disciples of that church. Uh, the reason for their reunion in Antioch is not made explicitly clear. In other words, uh, we don't know exactly why they came back home, but we do have a pretty good guess. The furthest stop on their missionary journey was a place called Lystra. And that's where Paul was brutally dragged out of the city, and he was stoned until they thought that he was dead. And then by the grace of God, he stood back up, returned to the city, and continued to proclaim the gospel. That is a faithful missionary. Paul's commitment was certainly not in question, but his health probably was. That horrible event was probably the most traumatic event that ever occurred to his body until the day that he was eventually executed as a martyr. Now, I, I imagine that if you or I had a coconut-sized stone thrown at your head, my guess is you'd take a couple of days off of work. My guess is you might even go down to the hospital and, and get that checked out. Well, in those days, Paul was not only hit by one coconut-sized stone, he was brutally attacked until they literally assumed that he was no longer breathing. Even with our modern advancements in medication, a person who experienced what Paul did would likely have lifelong muscle, nerve, bone damage that could not be fully repaired. It's therefore probable and not coincidental that Paul and Barnabas immediately 
start backtracking on their trip and making their way back in the direction of their sending church. There's no indication that they returned because they ran out of funds. There's no indication that they desired to return for any reason other than the fact that he had just nearly died. This is also probably why Paul would later on recruit a doctor, namely Luke, to join him in traveling on his mission. Paul and Barnabas were radically committed to the task, even to the point that they were willing to die for Christ. Yet there came a time necessary for them to return and be refreshed. Notice that it tells us that they spent a good portion of, those, of their time with these disciples. When we have missionaries with us, they need to be refreshed. They need to be encouraged. They need to be restored. When they are on the field, many missionaries are lonely especially those who do not have a local church in their area yet. And they are there trying to plant the very first church in that community. They often get tired. They often are exhausted, especially those who are working isolated with no team around them. And trust me when I say that they need you as much as you need them. So invest in them by spending time with them. Encourage them. Take them to dinner. Bring them to your home. Don't crowd or over-exhaust them, but do your best to find ways to care for them and to fellowship with them. So we saw that Paul and Barnabas were commended to the work. We see that Paul and Barnabas were connected to the local church. And lastly, we see that Paul and Barnabas conferred all glory to God. Look with, with me once again here to verses 26 and 27. It says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled for the work that they had fulfilled. Notice these last six words. Who had fulfilled the work? Well, Paul and Barnabas had fulfilled the work. Verse 27, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Notice the way that they presented themselves to the church. They did not make themselves out to be the heroes. They did not use their service to their own advantage. Instead, they declared what? All that God had done with them. I once heard a college student. Uh, she was sharing her testimony along with her uh, story, a report of what she had done on the mission field in South America. Uh, she spoke for about 15 minutes, and she never once spoke about the Lord. It was clear that she thought very highly of herself. She thought a great deal of her own accomplishments, but she failed to recognize that there was anything truly achieved, that if there was anything truly achieved by her efforts, they were successful only because God brought the increase. Most likely the things that you have done are nowhere near as extreme or committed or as powerful as those accomplished by Paul and Barnabas. They had healed people. They had blinded another they had spoken to governors and rulers. They had preached and they had prophesied. They had been both inappropriately praised by some and mercilessly persecuted by others. And greater than all of that, they had seen many people experience salvation from their sin by turning away from what they had been and turning and repenting and believing in the gospel for forgiveness. What is that gospel message that they declared? Paul refers to it as the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. If you are here with us today and you are not a Christian, I thank you so much for joining us. I want to tell you what Paul would have told you in those days. There is a bad, uh, there's a bad news that you need to know. The bad news is the Bible says that God requires that you would be perfect. 
perfectly perfect in all that you say, all that you think, and all that you do. And if you do not match that criteria, you are not welcome to be with him in heaven forever. The problem is this. You are not perfect and neither am I. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, there is good news, and the good news is that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, so that he might save sinners like you and me who are undeserving of his kindness. He sent his son so that he would die, taking upon himself all the sin of all the people who would ever be saved and paying for it at the cross so that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so I ask you today, if you are not in Christ, just like Paul would have proclaimed to you 2,000 years ago, I proclaim to you this good news, and I present this hope that if you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. If you will see him and his sacrifice and acknowledge the fact that you are in desperate need of a Savior, you bow your heart to him and say, Lord, I need your forgiveness. He is ready to give it through Jesus Christ, the risen King. So I ask that if you are not a Christian today and you want to know more about that, please don't go anywhere without talking to me or anyone else that you've seen up here about that. We want you to know Jesus Christ and the power of his salvation. Paul and Barnabas did not use their experience as a way to uh, pad their own resume. I want you to see that they didn't use this to seek any personal gain or acclamation or notoriety or fame. They simply wanted to preach the gospel, and then when they returned, they wanted to edify the church by keeping them in the loop as to what the Lord was accomplishing. And in doing so, notice that they gave all of the credit for every person who was saved to God in heaven. Although all of these accomplishments were carried out by their hands, they were ultimately orchestrated, carried out, and completed by God himself. The idea of a self-centered, egotistical, self-impressed missionary is an absurd oxymoron. But that's also true of every Christian. What have you been given that you have not received? One day you will lay every last one of your crowns at the feet of Jesus, for he alone receives that glory because he alone can save. I can't wait to walk through the rest of this book of Acts with you. Uh, to the glory of God, I'm excited to see our church on mission as we move forward into our community and proclaim these good things. And I would ask that you continue to pray that God would strengthen you and prepare you to go out and, like Paul and like Barnabas, carry that message to your neighborhood, your community, your family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you would indeed help us, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage us, that you would build us up so that we might be prepared for the good work of proclaiming your kingdom. I thank you, Lord, that you have made us ambassadors so that we might represent you here in this place. Although we are citizens of heaven, you have allowed us to be here to represent you on earth. And we ask, Lord, that every person in this room would do so well. May we be faithful. May we be accurate in our presentation of the gospel. May our lives not compromise the message. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to rightly about, rightly study, rightly understand what it means to send well those who go on the field. We pray that in the precious name of Jesus Christ, the one for whom we proclaim all of these things. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.